You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The time has come for America to hear the truth. We are going to stand with them, and not only are we going to fight for their rights, we're going to stand up for our rights here in our state, in our homes, and in our community. States of America is not going to be decided in the courts. It's not going to be decided in Congress. It's not going to be decided on talk radio, and it sure is not going to be decided on Fox News. Morrison here with my co-host and fellow agitator Adam Keller. It is Saturday, June 19th, Juneteenth, 2021, and we are broadcasting live online and on the radio on WVNN in the Huntsville, Decatur, Athens listening area from Athens, Alabama. A recording of this program will play tomorrow, Sunday, June 20th, 2021 on the great WGOL in Russellville, Alabama, and sometime next week on WHIV in New Orleans, Louisiana. NEA staff authorizes a strike. MSNBC union busts wokely. We're giving you the Southern updates from Jonah Furman's Who Gets the Bird newsletter. We're going to be taking your calls and more on today's show. Uh, So remember, folks, the North Alabama DSA has a necessities drive this Saturday and every Saturday from 3 to 5 p.m. at the IBEW Local 558 Union Hall on Clinton Avenue, right across from Yellowhammer and Campus 805. So bring by your non-perishable food items, your PPE, clothes, blankets, all that good stuff, and your donations will all be forwarded to the Manor House. You can follow at DSA North Alabama. Alabama on Twitter for more information. If you want to see what we're up to throughout the week and get our snide quips about the news of the day, then you should follow us on social media. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Valley Labor Report. We're on Twitter at Labor Reporters. I'm on Twitter at Jacob M underscore AL. If you missed part of the show and want to go back and watch it later, you can search YouTube for the Valley Labor Report and subscribe to our channel. You can go back and watch the full show there and We also clip segments and release them throughout the week. We upload the program on more than 11 different podcasting apps. So to see if we are on your listening platform of choice, you can go to thevalleylaborreport.transistor.fm slash subscribe. We've got a website where you can buy our hats and stickers, all union-made thevalleylaborreport.org. And finally, if you appreciate our work and want to help us stay on the air, then consider throwing us a couple dollars a month on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Um, so, good morning, everybody. We are coming to you without a guest today because there's so much news in the labor world, and this is a really good... And all the news really works in with our with our theme of trying to be consistent, have a have a good uh, justice-oriented labor movement, have a real critique of the boss and capital and not fall for the woke 
pandering that uh, that that you know woke corporations and and you know Graytheon's pride flags will try to shove down our throats. Uh, there's just so much so much kind of uh, stuff in that vein this week. And so the first story that we're going to talk about is the National Education Association's uh, their conflicts with their staff union, the National Staff Organization. Um, and it, just just to kind of set this up, the National Education Association is the largest union in the country, the largest union, the most members of any union in the country. Uh, three million members. Three million members. And now, to be fair, that's not what they want to be. They don't want to be the largest union in the country. They want to be a professional organization. Well, you could say there's something of an identity crisis sometimes within the uh, NEA universe and, and particularly among some of their state affiliates. Yes, yes. So they want to be a professional organization. And uh, you know what? That's how they're treating their staff, like a <laughs> like a professional organization would. So, um, you know, Adam, you have been a member of the National Staff organization in the past you don't you didn't work for the NEA in DC you Correct. know you, you yes. never worked in DC uh, for the National Education Association but you have worked for one of their state affiliates for years and so you know I'm sure you know people you know some sisters and brothers at the, yes. <laughs> in, in the NEA so so what the hell is going on so you know just to kind of set the stage a little bit further this can be kind of confusing it's very meta, but a lot of unions have their own staff unions inside of them, uh, which makes sense, right? If you're a labor union, you're going to have employees who do organizing work, who do computer work, uh, membership processing. There's all sorts of you know day-to-day work that goes into uh, operating a labor union, so they have employees. And in many cases, most cases, those employees are themselves unionized. Because at the end of the day, management is management. Uh, no matter uh, how lofty the mission statement of an organization may be, managers and bosses like to act like managers and bosses. Yeah. <laughs> so, in this case, um, there is a union called the National Staff Organization, NSO. And I, I'm a proud, uh, proud that I ser- served as a delegate to NSO. I'm proud to have served on my bargaining team and executive board uh through our state local. Uh, NSO represents employees of the NEA and all of its affiliates across the country uh, because there are NEA affiliates in every state. So NSO uh, has a local in D.C., specifically for NEA headquarters employees uh, called NESO, N-E-A-S-O. And I encourage you to check out their website, neaso.org slash strike. It's very unusual that you hear about these, you know, intra-union labor battles. uh, But that's honestly a testament to how uh, dicey things have gotten as of late. so the NEA is bargaining a contract with their staff union, and things have gotten ugly enough to where the NISO, the staff union, has actually put out more than one press release. They have established this strike website I just mentioned. Uh, they have a whole organizing campaign, uh, a public campaign. They are collecting testimonies from their members. Uh, they are gathering support from 
not just employees of other state affiliates, but also rank and file educators who are members of NEA. And the reason they've done that is because, unfortunately, NEA is trying to really... I mean, they're trying to screw their employees. Let's just let's just be real about it. Um, they are proposing stagnant pay. They're proposing cuts to their health care, cuts to their retirement, um, and and really are behaving like the worst kind of superintendent or school board uh, when when they're talking about their own employees. And, and like I mentioned, these are the people who you know do the day to day work in terms of updating the website, making sure that a membership form is actually processed and that dues are being paid. Uh, Those are the staffers who conduct professional training uh, for union leaders and educators across the country. And like Jacob said, uh, you know, some of these are are good brothers and sisters of mine that I've had the pleasure to get to know. These are really good hearted people. They are there because they believe in the power of the labor movement. They believe in the power of public education and where those two intersect and how vital that is to our community. Uh, so it, it is uh, it's pretty infuriating to see that my sisters and brothers up there are being treated this way. I'm so proud of them for organizing uh, because, like I said, it is very unusual that these spats get out into the public. Uh, And that's by design. Obviously, um, it is not a good look to be a labor union who has his own labor union troubles internally. Uh, And most of the time, the staff unions kind of concede to that. Uh, You know, most of the locals of NSO are not eager to go out and and organize publicly Mm -hmm. uh, for fear of honestly making their day-to-day jobs harder in the long run right we're in a very anti-union environment uh teachers unions in particular are an easy target and so you know nobody who works for them you know is intentionally trying to uh paint their employers in a bad light but at the same time workers are workers and if you're selling your labor for a wage, you are a worker, even if it is to a labor union itself. Uh, and in many cases, certainly in my case, uh, you know, and with these sisters and brothers I know on, on the uh, bargaining team, these folks are dealing with the same kind of BS that the educators deal with that they're representing. You know, so that's where it's an extra slap in the face is that you you're grinding, you know, from 730 in the morning to 530 in the evening, taking calls and and representing members uh, who are dealing with jerk supervisors uh, who are dealing with threats to their benefits and to their pay. Just crappy management practices, uh, lack of communication. Those are all things that, you know as an NEA staffer, you're assisting educators with. And then to deal with the same tactics from your employer, who ought to know better, who is literally paying you to fight those practices on the outside, that's where it's an insult. you know, so like I mentioned, stagnant wages, benefit cuts, uh, they're actually trying to slash their retirement while increasing their health care costs. And, mm-hmm. you know, keep in mind that D.C. area in particular, it's skyrocketing cost of living. It's very difficult to find housing. Um, many of these employees of NEA travel all over the country. Uh, you know, many of these Niso sisters and brothers are lucky to spend, you know, a solid week or two at home before they're right back out on the road training folks in Montgomery and Jackson and Nashville. 
that's their life. And so to see NEA conduct themselves this way, unfortunately, um, you know, I, I, one of the members actually uh, put it very well that this is uh, Stacy Grissom. She's worked for NEA for 15 years. And I'm going to quote her when she says, normally I'm unapologetically proud of where I work and of what we do. But mm. these days, it feels like respect for union values is one-sided. It's disappointing. NEA can't talk the talk to others if it's not walking the walk with its own. Mm. You know, and I think that sums it up. Um, I certainly dealt with similar issues myself, uh, right. you know, in state affiliates. And you mentioned something earlier. There is kind of an identity crisis within the National Education Association uh, because there is this contradiction between being the largest labor union in the country versus being a quote-unquote professional organization. Right. Uh, and that really has its roots from the very, very beginning uh, when NEA and its uh, the various state associations got their roots in superintendent groupings and administrator groupings. Uh you know, the Alabama Education Association was founded in 1856, uh, but it was a superintendent's organization. So those contradictions have kind of carried forward all the way until 2021. And we still see that being an issue inside of the NEA universe. And we have, particularly at the state level, several state affiliates who actually do not want to be called a union. Mm-hmm. They do not... Uh, they don't accept that they are unions. They don't want to see that label applied to them, nor do they want to, um, you know, act like a union. They don't see themselves connected to the labor movement at large. Right. Uh, that's the case here in this state, but it's it's seen elsewhere, and, and that's actually come into play at sometimes. Uh, many of you may remember the strike wave of 2018, the teacher strike mm-hmm. wave. You know, some people called it Red State Revolt. I know Eric Blanc put a book out with that title. Uh, because it did happen in West Virginia, Arizona, Oklahoma. And, you know, particularly in Oklahoma's case, you saw that contradiction play out in the real life struggle. Uh, You had rank and file educators who were walking out, who were shutting down the school districts, occupying the state capitol. But at the same time, you had folks in state affiliate uh, management and uh, elected leadership who were... um, a little bit more conservative than that. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean conservative necessarily in the political sense, but conservative in terms of behavior. Right. Uh, the two go hand in hand often, but uh, that's certainly the case. So you've got this, you have this identity crisis within NEA, and I'm proud to see that their staff are fighting back, and we're hoping they get a fair contract. We don't have to go on strike. The 98% have authorized the strike, so that tells us they're ready for anything that we Yep. Folks, you're listening to the Valley Labor Report. Make sure you stay tuned. We will be right back. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. 
all workers deserve fair wages, affordable health care, and a retirement plan that enables them to retire with dignity. All workers deserve to have a say about the terms and conditions of their employment, not just the bosses. With the Machinist Union's over 600,000 members having our back, Local Lodge 44 in Decatur, Alabama has been serving workers' interests for over 20 years. Our members have the best health insurance in the area with zero deductible plans. We set the bar for pay in the area with over $40 an hour rates, consistently averaging the highest non-college degree jobs in North Alabama with some of the best retirement plans in the industry. We can do the same for you. Together, we remain united, raising our voices to ensure justice on the job and service in the community. The Machinist Union is a true Southern Union founded in Atlanta in 1888. We have been serving members' needs for 132 years. The longevity of our union proves our dedication and loyalty to the working class. The Machinist Union isn't just for machinists. We represent workers in government, health care, auto workers, aerospace workers, transportation workers, the defense industry, and woodworking. Our members even build the iconic Harley-Davidson motorcycles. If you're ready to get serious about better benefits and wages, if you want to have a voice in your workplace with over 600,000 members to back you up, call or email us today at 256-286-3704 or organize at iamaw44.org. Here in Huntsville, federal employees are an invaluable part of the nation's defense, offering unmatched expertise in engineering and technology and as stewards of taxpayer dollars. What we ask for in return is to be treated with fairness, dignity, and respect. The American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE, Local 1858, is a union of working people looking out for each other, making sure that we're treated right. To inquire about joining or to learn more, call 256-876-4880. Charge one, the lad. A population burned up, let drive. Marginalize, multiply, and unite to fight. All power to the workers. Good morning. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co host and fellow agitator, Adam Keller. This is the Valley Labor Report. We've been talking about the National Education Association's staff issues that they've got there uh, so again just to recap for folks that just might be tuning in the national staff organization represents staffers for many unions and and in this case uh, you know relevantly uh the national education association in washington dc and you know the um the it's and and they're not they are forcing their staff to go through exactly the same thing that their teachers go through on a day-to-day basis. And it's just, they are not upholding with their own employees uh, union values. If you're going to employ people, then you have to... you have to pay them well, and especially as the and you know, I mean, it's 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 even they don't even have the excuse like, oh, we're just like a ragtag kind of group of folks. We're a small, you know, like like a small business would say, we're a small business. We don't have the funds, or even like maybe just a local union. We don't have the funds to pay people enough, and it, it, you know, I mean, for one thing. If you're going to have staff, you should pay them well. But they don't have that excuse even. They are, again, the largest union in the country. 
the largest union in the country. They have the funds to pay people. And, and it's so important to have good staff because the day-to-day operations of a union, especially the largest union in the country, there has to be administrative work done. And that administrative work is so important. And this is something that I have... Um, that I've seen firsthand over the last few years as I have occupied elected secretary positions for smaller uh, union federations and for local unions. I have occupied the position of secretary and treasurer over the past few years. And that, you know, I mean, it's a small enough organization that we don't actually have to pay somebody to do that. Uh, but but the, the, the work that I have to do there is, is similar. And I, I don't get paid for it. And it's like, that's hard work. And I don't like it. Right. You know, it's not fun having to fill out all these government forms that, you know, that businesses don't have to fill out that, you know, the government looking over our back every single penny that we spend. We've got to, you know, we've got to account for. And it's, you know, we've got to have people to do that. And that doesn't mean that we seed the we seed rank and file democracy and transparency and these other union values to an opaque bureaucracy, but you have to have quote bureaucrats. You have to have administrators, and uh, but because good administration, uh, a transparent and democratic bureaucracy helps rank and file action it helps empower people in the rank and file and so these are not right. these don't have to be conflicting things the bureaucracy and democracy and transparency they can they work should together support each other they, yeah. they can and they ought to support each other and one of the best ways to do that is to ensure that the people that work there are taken care of and another thing that you said in an uh, when you started this is that these types of fights do not normally get out into the public and that's because neither party wants it out in the public. Right. Of course, you know, just it, it, a boss is a boss is a boss. The National Education Association's management do not want it out there that they are being a bad boss because it looks bad on them. Just like from the shame and the public guilt and all that, like they just don't want that out there. But also, their staff doesn't want it out there. Right. Like their staff, you know, they have been they have they've been dealing with this for how, who knows how long? Years. The, the contract expired uh then to May. Yeah. So they've been working without a contract already all, almost all of June. Right. Right. And, and 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 so you know, this isn't something that they that they relish having to do because they are union people. They are movement people. They don't want to have to come out and publicly attack their uh, their management because their management are also supposed to be union people. Right. And so, you know, this is not, you know, in, within the House of Labor, when there are conflicts, we want to, if at all possible, handle it internally because that's, that's the best way. But the NEA management is not allowing this dispute to be handled internally. And so, like Adam said, they have uh, the National Staff Organization that represents NEA, the NEASO, they've authorized a strike. 98% of the people that voted. That's huge. That's huge. 98% of the people that voted uh, voted to have a strike. That I mean, that's a lot of people. That is a lot of unhappy staffers in D.C., 
Yeah, I think it speaks to, to probably larger issues in the workplace culture there, um, you know, and, and maybe at some point we'll actually get a chance to, to speak with some folks from NSO who could fill us in, uh, because I, I don't think to have 98% authorized a strike already uh, indicates that this, this, like you said, it, it built up over time. It probably goes beyond just this particular contract fight, honestly. Yeah. Uh, but there are a couple of things you, you touched on there that I think are important. For one thing, you know, not just in, in labor unions, but kind of in the nonprofit industrial complex, mm-hmm. so to speak, you know, which we is all, really the realm that NEA would prefer to operate in. Right, yeah. I mean, I think they oftentimes would feel more comfortable in that realm, uh, hanging out with the nonprofits uh, than the other trade unions. But, you know, in both sets of institutions, you still have people who sell their labor. You still have managers who have the power to hire and fire and discipline. And so you have the ordinary kind of concerns that come up in any workplace. Uh, Sometimes you have harassment. Sometimes you have uh, grievances that need to be filed because there's violations of contract issues. You know, those things happen. Uh, And and sometimes uh, some of these supposedly woke, progressive employers, these nonprofits, and in this case, a trade union, sometimes despite their lofty rhetoric behind closed doors, they treat their employees like crap. Uh, mm-hmm. And I have known and, and heard from many people who've worked in these kind of industries who have horror stories. Yeah. The turnover rate for staffers of, you know, NEA is, is very high. Uh, and the same goes for many nonprofits because they are treated the same way private bosses treat their employees. The difference being that they spend their day job as the employees fighting against this, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, how frustrating is it that you're spending your day all day fighting for workers' rights, fighting for fair pay and benefits, only to get called in by your boss and, and treated the exact same way? Uh, and, and, you know, you're dealing with folks who are just like the superintendents and HR directors and school board members that you spend all day fighting against. Uh, so it, it is pretty absurd, but that is something that, that is a real, real thing. Uh, alienation right. is a pretty common uh, trend among these sorts of employment because right. 99% of the time, folks go into working for a union uh, or even most nonprofits in terms of rank and file employees. They go into it out of a sense of mission, mm-hmm. right? They believe in the cause. They want to make a difference. And so that's why they sign up to do these jobs. Right. And that's why they're, that's why they sign up to do these jobs and, and, and they, and management and sometimes even people outside of the organization on the left, quote unquote, there was an article in Jacobin about this, uh, yesterday. Um, I, I believe it was, they use the fact that they are going into this for a mission to cudgel workers into complacency and like, right. oh, you are going to hurt the mission if we pay you fairly. You don't deserve compensation for your labor. The compensation for your labor is the warm fuzzies in your stomach that you get from helping workers, from advancing the left movement in the United States. And, you know, I mean, guess what, folks? Warm fuzzies don't pay 
the rent. Warm right. fuzzies don't pay the rent. I got to have a check in my bank account every few weeks. I got to have health care to pay my uh, to pay the hospital bills. I got to have something to pay my college loans. Warm fuzzies ain't going to do that. Folks, we'll be right back. Hey, you listen to conservative talk radio all week. Why don't you try something different for a change? The Majority Report with Sam Cedar is a five-time award-winning daily left-wing political talk show. We go live every weekday at 11 a.m. Central Time on our YouTube channel. You can find it by searching for The Majority Report. We talk about the news. We take libertarian callers. We have debates. We interview guests on topics ranging from the post-Civil War Reconstruction era, child poverty, capitalism, the intellectual dark web, and more. And that's all just within the last month. If you want to hear what smart, progressive political talk that is occasionally amusing sounds like, then you need to tune in. And you're always welcome to call in if you want to hear the correct opinion on any given topic. I will give it to you. Tune in to The Majority Report at 11 a.m. Central Time on YouTube or later wherever you get your podcasts. Talking about the National Education Association's dispute with their national staff organization members. Sure. Uh, I think we should kind of tie this up because it's going to actually perfectly segue into the next labor dispute we're going to discuss. But um, something that I read yesterday from uh, some of the leaders of NSO is that NEA has actually been making threats to cut off their health care and cut off their payroll deduction of their staff union. Hmm. arguing that, well, the contract's expired, so, you know, maybe we just don't continue those anymore. Uh, That's just... That's completely asinine, and it's just... uh, it's, It's disgusting, really, to see that kind of behavior from who are supposed to be the leaders, quote unquote, of the labor movement. Um, And I wanted to share something from uh, a good brother of mine, Andy Jewell. Andy is uh, a very kind and conscientious staffer. Uh, He has done training here in Alabama and all over the country. And one of his report, one of his quotes here from this struggle is that the closest thing that I've seen to NEA's behavior in this round of bargaining is when the Tea Party started taking over school boards and tried, sometimes successfully, to break the union. So I I think that says it all Mm -hmm. right there. Uh, We want to send our solidarity to our national staff organization, Brothers and Sisters in D.C., obviously a cause near and dear to my heart. So uh, to any NSO members, we have your back. If there's anything we can do to support you in your your struggle, uh, please let us know. And there was something you touched on earlier about you know, people who were driven to this work to do the right thing. And, you know, for the warm fuzzies that management yeah. uh, loves to to give uh, in lieu of, you know, proper treatment, pay and benefits. And I think that's something that we see in any profession that is care based. 
right? Especially predominantly female professions, nursing, teaching, uh, media jobs. People go into these things to make a difference, uh, to help people, and that is used as leverage against you as a worker. They want right. to separate your identity as a healer or as an educator versus your identity as a worker. And we see it time and time and time again when nurses are on strike or teachers are on strike. You see the administrators, the mayors and bosses and politicians say, well, look at what they're doing to the children. Mm -hmm. Oh, the children. Look at what they're doing to the patients. How dare they? They truly must not care. How how could they do that? And I think that's the sort of leverage that is used against employees in the nonprofit sectors and these other sectors. Uh, And it's something that is disgusting because we know that workers' issues on those jobs translate into Mm -hmm. the care and quality of patients, of students, uh, and the the clients of these nonprofits. So it's something that is leveraged, and I think it's something that's being leveraged right now in uh, the next fight we had to talk about. Is that right? That's exactly right. The next fight, and I mean, it, it, it transitions so well because this is the kind of thing that uh, in this next fight that they're using is the warm fuzzies, is the prestige. This is something that the New Yorker said in their fight against their staff union after two and a half years of contract negotiation. But we want what the, the thing that we wanted to talk about today was the. Uh, staff for the editorial staff for MSNBC is unionizing. And now, here's one one thing that I hope is that maybe if they get a union, that their programming will be more watchable. Yeah, That's- hopefully these uh, <laughs> staff will be unionized and their channel will suck a whole lot less. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fingers crossed because cr- that stuff is toxic. Yes, we're crossing our fingers. But, uh, you know, look, even if they're still made to make toxic stuff for their bosses, because of course it's still the people who are going to be ultimately controlling the agenda is going to be the bosses and the corporations and this is what we see in this in this fight against the union these workers are trying to create a better life for themselves at MSNBC as workers as people who do the copy editing as people who make sure that the grammar is right as people who who make sure that the try, try you know probably against the against the wishes of of some of the on air personalities try to make sure that they have their facts straight who um you know try to who want to make a difference they want to have they they want to be able to have a good life they want to be able to to afford an apartment in in new york or dc or wherever they are and so they have they have formed a union they have requested voluntary recognition after showing that a majority of their staff supports the union and support unionizing they want to be a union and their staff had and their management at msnbc this is supposed to be liberal, lefty, socialist news. Is that oh, was God? Yeah, I mean, that if was you my to understanding. People on this station, they would make yeah. it out like MSNBC is Pravda, yeah, you know, from the Soviet Union. That era. was my understanding. Is that MSNBC was supposed to be like you know socialist news nightly or something? And and so you would think that these people in management there, if they're 
if they are actually, you know, socialist or left wing or liberal and they care about workers, that when their own workers say that we want to unionize and when they express a majority Democratic support for this initiative and in an industry where voluntary recognition is the industry standard... That is the industry standard in media right now. There have been so many so many unions formed in the media industry and it has they have almost all been voluntarily recognized by their management. This is it just not even like just oh like these are just lefty outlets. It's just like regular newsrooms voluntarily recognize their uh, their staff unions. This is just the, the it's, I mean, I, I said it all, over and over and over, but I want, I want people to understand this is the industry standard, is voluntary recognition. When a majority of your employees in the media industry tell you they are a union, then management has, uh, in, in contemporary America, the industry standard is to recognize that. And MSNBC has refused to do that. They have refused to do just the bare minimum and give their employees respect as adults, as people who are supposed to sift through the news and make decisions. They have refused to accept their uh, th- 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 that that their workers are adults and know what they're doing and want to want to unionize. And so they have said, we refuse voluntary recognition. We're going to go through the NLRB election process, which is going to give us time to fill our workers' heads with implicit threats, with lies, with, uh, uh, with, with misrepresentations, and... Exactly like we were talking about before, and and what and, and a much more explicit example of what we talked about with Paul Prescott a few weeks ago is this woke washing of their mission and what they're doing and and their status as a workplace. So what we talked about with Paul Prescott a while back is that corporations will. Um, you know, that they, they like co-opt. Raytheon, they yeah. co-opt the language, right? Like right. Raytheon has, you know, I mean, they've got like a rainbow on their logo right now for Pride Month. Like, I'm sure the children that get bombed by yeah. Raytheon feel really great that it's right. coming from a, a, a Pride supporting corporation. I'm sure, I'm sure. And so, you know, I mean, that's the guy. And, and these anti-racism trainings, these implicit bias trainings, which have been proven to not do anything, which have been proven to actually, if anything, increase racial anxiety among the workforce because this is the, because what these anti-racism trainings are is millionaires and billionaires and bosses coming down and telling workers how privileged or not they are of course it is not a democratic bottom-up conversation about race about people's places in society about how we can come together and form a a more democratic Democratic and integrated and justice-oriented workplace and society. It's none of that. It is the boss coming down. And, t- and, and so, of course. It's a of, grift, too. Of course I mean, that's not going to work. But MSNBC has done something so much more disgusting than that. They have done it because that is... 
that is supposed to kind of cover up before disputes come up. It's it's supposed to kind of make people think, but it's not an explicit fight against workers um, against workers what they want. It's not you know workers aren't necessarily coming out of the woodwork to oppose this, and and it's not something in reaction to uh, workers asking for something else. It's something that management is trying to. Um, proactively do to quell fears. What MSNBC has done, and I mean, gosh, get a load of this. In response to workers telling them, we are a union, they have said, we're not going to respect your decision. We're going to make you go through an election process. And this is the kind of stuff that we're going to bombard you with. Get a load of this. The MSNBC senior vice president, and this is from a Daily Beast article. You can find it there. MSNBC senior vice president argued to the staff that union dues and fees could discourage low-salaried entry-level employees from joining MSNBC and also suggested that the fees could discourage non-white candidates from taking jobs at MSNBC. Wow. Wow. If that isn't the most racist, like... White savior nonsense. You have black and brown staff at MSNBC telling these white executives we are a union. And the white executives are coming back down and telling them, oh, no, you don't know what's best for you. You don't know what I know what's best for you. And a union... That really, that's just not very good for minorities. Even though, even though black union workers have 10 times, 10 times the median wealth of black non-union workers. Even though the racial income gap, the racial wage gap in union workplaces is almost non-existent. It is almost non-existent, wherein non-union work, the the union racial wealth gap is almost non-existent, wherein non-union workplaces, it is large. And so, you know, just the audacity, the audacity of these liberal elites, just terrible ghouls to say this to black and brown workers is crazy. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The Valley Labor Report is also supported by listeners like you. If you value the work that we are doing, injecting a different perspective into talk radio, and you have the means, consider signing up for a monthly donation on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash the Valley Labor Report to support our work and keep us on the air. If you're looking for contractors with lower than average EMR and TRIR, if you need to supplement a workforce at any level for any amount of time, if you need iron workers that come trained and certified at no extra cost, or if you need workers from superintendent down to general laborer and you're looking to start work on a project or you're unhappy with your current contractor situation, you need to call my friend Jeb Miles with the Iron Workers Local 477. They only work with the best in the business, vetted contractors, and can do all kinds of jobs from 
roofing to steel and bridge erection, from welding to heavy rigging, from structural repairs to machinery alignment, and much more. They supply manpower on four of the five largest projects in North Alabama, so you know they're legit. If you need good quality, safe, efficient, diligent, and knowledgeable workers on your job, then you need the Iron Workers Local 477. Call Jeb Miles at 256-383-3334. That's 256-383-3334. Or via email at local477 at bellsouth.net. And make sure you tell them that you heard about them on the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host Adam Keller. We're talking about, I mean, we just, we haven't even been able to like, we just, we just can't get over it. He said, he said in the break, if there was, if there was a, like, if aliens came to earth and were trying to figure out the politics of MSNBC, it would be like, we would just read them that quote because the politics of MSNBC is like, we want to pretend to be good progressive liberal people without actually supporting anything that is going to help uh poor or minority people i mean that's exactly like i mean and and in our chat on youtube um uh uh, there's a fellow that said msnbc is the corporate democrat party mouthpiece emphasis on the corporate that's exactly right another fellow said msnbc is like old pravda propaganda outlet for the establishment just not state owned. That's another good point. I mean, um, right. Instead, instead of uh, the U.S. government, it's Comcast uh, hosting. <laughs> yeah, former right. officials of the U.S. government. <laughs> right, right. I mean, I mean, yeah. Well, read. I mean, read manufacturing consent by right, by you right. know uh, Noam Chomsky. I mean, that's that that'll lay it all out there. Uh, a, a, the good brother from the Iron Workers said the office staff at our union hall are members of OPEIU and get the same benefits as our membership and pension through our international union. So Still not enough for the work that they do, but they get the same as their members, which is like what they should get. I mean, and, and another guy said that did the vice president mention that it would it would probably get them higher wages and better benefits too? Of course he didn't. Of, of course, course the vice president didn't say that. But I mean that like the seriously the idea the idea that that your union dues are going to outweigh the myriad of benefits that you're going to get from having a union is laughable. It is laughable. And you can just, I mean, just look at any study done on union membership. Union members make, on average, 14 to 20 percent more just on wages. They have more health care for less money. Union workers are the only people left in the country with pensions. Union, I mean, it's just like uh, uh, union union workers work less. Union workers have there are on on union work sites there are like 80 percent fewer fatalities, like 30 percent 
fewer serious accidents. I mean, it's just like there are so many, th- and uh, I mean, just just so many, so many things. And, and a lot of that comes down to the fact that you have a voice in the workplace. You actually have a means to uh, communicate and resolve issues and disputes. So this idea that a union would sure, discourage yeah. a non-white candidate oh, is is so. I mean, it's yeah. it's bizarre, really, because if you're a non-white worker who's been discriminated against, who the hell are you going to go to? Well, you're going to go to your union rep. You know, who's going to provide legal right. assistance to pursue an EEOC claim? It's going to be your union. Yeah. Right. Who can guarantee uh, anti-discrimination measures and equity measures in a contract and can hold a company accountable for having right. equitable practices. Yeah. Right? I mean that's exactly right. Another So it's 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 such BS. I mean really that is MSNBC in the nutshell. Yeah. And another guy in the chat said uh, blacks historically have been great supporters of unions going back to the founding of the UMWA, the United Mine Workers right. of America. That's exactly right. And the idiots at MSNBC um, expect them to buy <laughs> their load of BS. I mean just seriously, what condescension is right? I mean that I mean I, I just, you know, we've got a caller on the run, on on the line, Den uh, wanted to talk about what his union means to him. Uh, uh, Den, what you got for us? Yeah, it's Dan. D-A-N. Dan, yeah. I'm sorry. Anyway, uh, yeah, I wanted to speak what he means to me. I'm a member of 462 Medicare Association here in Huntsville, and I'm just about ready to retire in about two weeks. I'll be retired. Uh, you know, uh, it, it's been a blessing for me. I've been a union steward for 20 years. Uh, I've seen a lot. Uh, I've had to represent people that I really didn't want to represent, to be honest with you, because some people do take advantage of all the benefits the union gives them, and they're out there. But you got to overlook that because the bigger picture is for people that need the union, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's a benefit for them. But mm-hmm. the other thing that 462 does for me, I thought that was pretty cool, I could still be part of my union when I retire. And what they do is they, there's a form where you could go out, and uh, it only costs me $15 a year to be in the union because you're on a fixed income and uh, having a, a pension, which I get because of the union. Uh, it's uh, a, re- a re- economic a way to, to stay involved in the union and I think that's a great benefit that 462 does for everybody and actually all the, uh, the letter, letter carrier unions here in the nation do the same thing to each anybody who retires uh, instead of paying X amount of dollars a month all I got to pay is only $15 and I think that's a blessing because I'm still being a part of the union I still feel like I'm uh, a benefit to the union and uh, it's not hurting the bank account because you know when you retire you're on a fixed income yeah yeah that uh, that's great I mean, unions do so much. And, you know, you mentioned that, like, I'm sure there are some people that, that like, they do some things that, that uh, may, maybe in some way that they take advantage of of, un, uh, of their union membership. Right. But what happens in unions? That's, I mean, that's yeah, I mean, what happens in unions is that everybody gets due process when they're being disciplined. Where if you're in a non-union workplace, it's totally at the whim of the boss, you know? And, and, and there are people that take advantage of that and get in their boss's favor. And, and it's just willy-nilly where in a union workplace everybody has due process there's a procedure and you can't just be disciplined like because your boss didn't have his coffee this morning you know i mean there's like a process there well and, and, there, and there's also i'm sorry to interrupt you because sure, no. you, you don't have so much time on the radio here the other thing that, that there is a negative uh it's called customer connect i, I was able to get my uh, when i was on a business route where i was able to 
get a company to switch over from uh, UPS and FedEx and went with the Postal Service. And uh, we never got any kind of benefit for that as far as monetary. Mm. Because in a union, everybody needs to be treated the same, which is kind of sad because I worked real hard for that account. And it would have been nice if I got a little extra money. And you can't do that. That's that's one negative part about the union. Right, right. Yeah, well, there, there, there would be ways. I mean, you can, you know, I mean, this is something that you could potentially bring up in, in your in your next contract negotiation to have uh, performance bonuses or, or performance performance based raises and, and things like that. Some, I mean, unions have that. It's not, yeah, you know, I mean, that's not something that well, can be done. Um, you know, Jeff, listen in my closing in my closing, guys, look at uh, and you take this for everybody listening. This is a guy that's had a lot of years in, in the postal service. I'm very grateful for the union because I have a pension. There's yeah. so many people that wish they had one. I have one, and that's because of the negoti- uh, negotiation for my local and my uh, uh, national contract was able to get me a pension. And you know what? That means so much, everybody, because it pays for your medical plus some money left over in your pocket, yeah. and that's not even touching Social Security. I'm going to be able to retire just on my pension right now until I max out on my Social Security. i got to wait till at least 66 and 11 months to get maxed out, and I'm going to wait till I max out because with Social Security, People, if you take it early, you're taking a big pay cut because the difference is a thousand dollars if I take it now versus when I wait when I'm full age. Okay, that's a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, thank thanks for calling in, brother. That was great. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And we really we have a lot of love for our postal workers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about the postal service being under threat, under attack in this country, uh, due to uh, agents of privatization. Uh, so thank you, Dan, for sharing that testimony. And I think that's great what y'all do uh, to keep retirees engaged because uh, there's always opportunities to improve our intergenerational you know, learning and passing the torch. Uh, those retirees who've seen struggles and fights, they know what what went wrong, uh, what worked, right. and can pass that on to the young guns. So I think that's awesome. Thanks for calling, Dan. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, and and you know, I mean, that's just like that kind of testimony. There just shows the absurdity of MSNBC. Again, I mean, you know, right. just so do you think, uh, are they trying to say that non-white candidates aren't interested in having a, a pension, pension and retiring <laughs> with dignity? Yeah, yeah. I'm no. sure that, I'm, I'm sure that black folks just, they just prefer to uh, not have, to, to like be homeless when they're old. But like that's know, just, I mean. There, there was something that we talked about in the break, because this actually does reflect their politics and maybe even a bigger way than, than when I first looked at it, uh, because I've thought about that MSNBC never likes to use the phrase working class. Right. They don't talk about workers or the working class as a whole. And it, the few times that you ever see that pop up on that network is they talk about the white working class. Right, and, right. and they always like show an image of you know an older white guy in a pickup truck wearing a mod a hat. Uh, and that's not in you know representative sample of the working class of America. Uh, and so you know maybe that's sort of their uh, reflective of their politics like you know unions well why would anyone who's you know not why want a union you know uh, I think I think it's just it's bizarre but it's also uh, a reflection of this corporate liberalism that they uh, that they pump out 24/7 on their network to you know I don't know how many millions of listeners and viewers they have uh, not not a lot but they do a lot of damage 
honestly, uh, cable news is poisonous to our country. And, you know, apparently they're pretty poisonous to the people that work there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just so uh, it. I mean, really, like this, this is the difference between, you know, genuinely like worker centered and, you know, like this is, you know, I don't want people to come away from this conversation, from from this discussion, thinking that like race isn't an issue, that, that we don't have to talk about race and we can just focus on class. But the, like that is not to say to uh, black workers like, no, your class doesn't matter. It's only your racial status. And in fact, ignoring class and, and only focusing on your racial status is going to be good for you. Um um, I mean, that's not that. That's not it. I mean, that's just not it. No, I think we're about to come on a break. Is what I was trying to say. Um, uh, what's the? Okay, gotcha. Um, <laughs> so, Sorry about that. I mean, it, no, no, no worries. It's. I mean, it, it's just. It's really like racial justice is an economic justice issue. The two are tied together. But exactly. MSNBC would have you not believe that. Yeah. Folks, this is the Valley Labor Report. We're going to be right back bringing you a update on the mine worker strike. Going to talk to you about who gets the bird. Uh, 1-866-494-9866 is the number if you want to call. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The Valley Labor Report is also supported by listeners like you. If you value the work that we are doing, injecting a different perspective into talk radio, and you have the means, consider signing up for a monthly donation on patreon.com slash the valley labor report again that's patreon.com forward slash the valley labor report to support our work and keep us on the air my co-host Adam Keller. Uh, there's been just, there's just so much happening. And so uh, what we're going to do uh, really quick is uh, there's a fantastic newsletter, Who Gets the Bird, written by Jonah Furman. And so what we did this morning is we pulled everything out of that. And, and what he does is he just goes over everything happening happening in the labor movement. New NLRB organizing, outside of the NLRB organizing, wins, losses, strikes, contract negotiations political stuff, legislation, all that kind of stuff. And so we pulled everything out of that newsletter with his permission. I texted him yesterday uh, that's happening in the South because who cares about Yankees? Am I right? Yankees suck. No, I'm kidding. I still care a little bit less, but I still care about my brothers and sisters north of the Mason-Dixon. So uh, what's happening in the South for new organizing 125 workers in the youth care centers of Fort Bliss, Texas, are organizing with the Machinists Local 2515. 15 food service workers at Stevens College in Columbia, Missouri, are joining Laborers Local 955. There were three losses in the South this week. 46, man- which is sad, 46 manufacturing workers at the John 
John Deere Regional Distribution Center in Dallas, Texas, voted against the UAW just barely. This I hate stuff. I almost wish it was more lopsided because this really hurts. In a 22 to 23 vote, 22 to 23. Mm. One, I mean, if one person had changed their vote, they would have had a union and a better life. Um, the UFCW local 1995. <clears throat> They got walloped in in an election among 29 meatpacking workers at Keystone Foods in Gadsden, Alabama, uh, which is sad. And, and, you know, this speaks to the importance of like of of the labor movement to talk to each other because this is yet another election that happened in Alabama that I did not know about until right. I saw Jonah's newsletter. I had no idea about this. I, I mean, that's, I hadn't seen this from any other uh, yeah. unions in the area. I mean, I think between the two of us, we're, we're pretty plugged into yeah. the labor movement I in would Alabama. Think, yeah. I'm secretary uh, treasurer of the darn labor council in North Alabama. You like, I ought to know about this. I ought to have been able to bend down. You know, I mean, like, I would love to have supported the yeah, effort. I mean, Anyway, they lost 3 to 25. Yikes. Uh, 13 workers at the SSB Manufacturing in Charlotte, North Carolina, voted against joining the Teamsters, uh, Local 71, 4 to 6. There's another close election. And last, the last loss, uh, so we can get off of the heartbreaking stuff, is five HVAC workers for contractor QTAB in Kansas. Kansas is in the South. Is Kansas in the South? No. Nah. Unanim- nah. Nah? Okay, screw them. <laughs> Outside- I mean, we wish they would have voted yes. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, but we we do focus more on the South here, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know. Outside of the NLRB, and so so to to help you understand what what that means is the NLRB is the or the National Labor Relations Board is the agency of the federal government that governs labor relations in the private sector federally. Right. And so what does that mean? Functionally, that means that people that work for municipalities and for state governments are not under the National Labor Relations Act, which created the National Labor Relations Board. And so, teachers, municipal employees, things like that. Firefighters. Firefighters. They do not organize or have elections within the National Labor Relations Board system. They're each individual state and each individual city sets up uh, regimes for bargaining and contract negotiations and such like individually. So outside of the NLRB, um, we had an election win through the Florida Public Employment Relations Commission's 1,300 adjuncts at Valencia College voted to join SEIU's Florida Public Services Union after years of organizing in a close 343 to 308 tally. Well, that's that's good news, and I'm sure is, our uh, yeah. NYU sisters who, who were on the show last week who have been doing a lot of organizing for grad students workers i'm sure they're happy to hear that um you know adjuncts and grad students are doing so much more of the work in colleges than they used to so it's it's very very critical that they organize and unionize 
Yep, yep. Um, some uh, pulled petitions in Tennessee. The machinists had a union election that they had tried to set up with 87 skilled trades workers at the Nissan plant in Smyrna. And the NLRB ruled that they had to expand their unit from 87 still skilled trade workers to all 4,300 workers wow. at the plant, which, I mean, that's just... That's crazy. That's dumb. That's dumb. Uh, I mean, and but it, it kind of reminds me of uh, what happened to the, uh, to the Amazon in the Be- Bessemer Amazon mm-hmm. campaign when yeah. they did that. And that's one of the ways uh, flooding the unit is one of the ways that bosses and management and the government through the NLRB cooperates with management to make it more difficult to organize. Because if you've got a you know if you've got a specific set of a specific department in a in a business that wants to unionize their department, they should be able to without having to organize the whole shop. And sometimes it even works in reverse. There are sometimes where they divide up the unit. It's right. whatever, and and th- that's why that's that's why I say it's not just because oh this didn't work out for the union this time, so I don't like it. It's because the rules are not consistent. You know, right. it's not always that workers have to form a wall-to-wall union or always that they can only form piecemeal department unions. It's whatever the boss wants, basically. The boss gets to decide, which is absurd because unions through the National Labor Relations Act were set up to be worker organizations, democratic, self-organized worker organizations, not organizations, uh, you know, gerrymandered by the boss. And so we can, you know, there are some union drives where uh, the workers want to form want to form a union among two or three or four departments or wall-to-wall across the whole shop, and management says, no, that doesn't make sense. It should only be one one department has the union, and another one has another election, and another one has another election, instead of all having one union. And so, it's just whatever the boss wants, which is really, really a really sorry state of affairs, which is why we need to pass the PRO Act, because under the PRO Act, that would not be the case. It would be, unions would again be worker, self self-organized worker democratic entities that choose their formations instead of bosses being able to gerrymander. But that's and, and by the way, if we had that PRO Act, uh, MSNBC's uh, upper management may have been a little bit less right. eager to spread nonsense to their yes. employees. Yes. Yes, that's exactly right. Um, the 2,900 Volvo workers in Dublin, Virginia, remain on strike with the UAW local 2069 in their on-again, off-again fight with very little movement happening between the company and the union. Um, but a new bargaining date was announced for next week, so maybe we will have an update for you on that. And those those workers in Virginia, uh, you know, in the, in the newsletter, it said it's been on-again, off-again because they've been... And, you know, okay, we're going to go on strike for a few weeks and then we're going to come back to work for a few weeks and then we're going to go on strike because they're not, because the management isn't coming to the table in good faith and they're not giving them what, you know, they deserve. And so that's a lot of workers, you know. I mean, that's almost 3,000 workers that have been on and off the job. Yeah. And my understanding is much like at, uh, in Brookwood at Warrior Met, there was uh, an initial agreement that was mm-hmm. put out there uh, that was, you know, very company friendly and, and was resoundingly rejected by the workers. So, yeah. you know, we're sending our love and solidarity to Virginia. Hope you guys can hold the line until you get what you deserve. 
Janitors with uh, local 32BJ SEIU in Miami, Florida, went on strike against building maintenance company CBM. Transit workers in Beaumont, Texas, with ATU Local 1031, authorized a strike over the allocation of CARES Act funding, as well as safety concerns with outdated buses and equipment. In Asheville, North Carolina, National Nurses United members picketed over safe staffing concerns on the heels of their massive union win last September. The 100 members of the Steelworkers Local 759L who were locked out at Mississippi Polymers in Corinth, Mississippi reached a new agreement ending the lockout slash strike on Monday. 600 workers at the Van- at Vanderbilt University with Laborers Local 386 are organizing for raises as their one-year pandemic-induced contract extension expires in November. Uh, The National Domestic Workers Alliance announced a pilot agreement for a sort of collective bargaining agreement with Handy, a house cleaning gig app in three states, Kentucky, Florida, and Indiana. We don't care about the last one. As experimentation with app-based worker labor agreements ramps up, that's something to watch. And, you know, we've been seeing a lot of these, especially like the, the one of the most recent high-profile ones was the one in New York City uh, or in New York, which was absolutely a complete capitulation to Uber and Lyft. Um, and, you know, the, the idea that you could have called what that law would have set up worker organizations is laughable. Yeah, I think we got to be very, very careful as we, you know, go into this new terrain of all this gig based work, uh, which, by the way, if, if you're an Alabama employee, Alabama worker who does gig work, you know that your unemployment benefits, of course, were, were cut off today uh, by Governor Ivey. But uh, I digress. Uh, but these these gig based uh Jobs, uh, they're not really careers, but Uber and Lyft and uh, uh, all these other ones, we're going to have to be very mindful that if they're, first of all, they need to organize and they need to unionize, but we need to make sure it's an actual union, a right. workers' union, because I think that's that's what happened in New York and that's what we're seeing in other places is, you know, these companies like Uber are smart enough to know that they should probably throw something out there, you know, and so. What you could end up with is, you know, what we, we've always called in the movement the company union. That it may sound like a union on the outside, it may look like one on the outside, it may technically have dues and memberships, uh, but it's not independent of the company and in fact exists to support the company. Uh, and, and that's the case even, you know, in other countries as well. Yep. And the last update, and we're going to dive more into this on the other side of the break, um, and, or, or, or we may have a few more minutes before this break is over, um, but the, the last one in the South is the UMWA, the United Mine Workers of America strike is still ongoing in Alabama. It is nearing its 90-day mark. I was down there on Tuesday uh, for More Perfect Union, and you can go and see that video on Twitter um, if you would like uh, to get updates there. And I may be writing a dispatch um, 
for for a news outlet and and I'll I'll you know we'll tweet that out if I if I'm able to do that um, because you know and 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 so that's that's the end uh, thank you so much to Jonah Furman for for doing this for doing this newsletter and for allowing us to to pull it and put it out there on audio and video hopefully hopefully it, it, it's helpful for you and and seriously folks go subscribe because I joke about like not caring about the South but there's the I mean one of the reasons that we just pulled from the South is because we are Southern focused right we're the Valley Labor Report we're located in Alabama so we do have like a special interest in what's going on in the South but if I read the entire newsletter I mean it took me 13 minutes just to go through and just to hit one line every single one of those situations we could spend the entire show on if we wanted to every single one we could have interviews with members we could do, I mean seriously it's, that, a, it's amazing th- work there's so much happening and so much that we could go into so just just hitting those one lines uh, I, I I think we're gonna do that regularly I hope from now on because I, I I want to even though we can't delve deep into every story happening in the south I hope that we can kind of give people a scope of what's happening because there really is so much worker activity, self uh, organized and democratic worker struggles for independence and fair wages and liberation happening just in the South. That's all that was, was the one one line things that's happening in the South. If I went through the whole newsletter, just going through one line of everything that's happening in the United States would literally take the whole show. I mean, it's such a good, and he does that every single week. It comes out on Thursday or Friday. It is Who Gets the Bird? Who Gets the Bird on Substack.com. Jonah Furman is the author. You can follow him on Twitter at Jonah Furman, F-U-R-M-A-N. Um, I mean, it's great. It's so like, and and so uh, what I was saying was, I, I joke about only caring about the South, and you know, we have a special interest in the South, but I really do care about what's happening everywhere, all over the country, and all over the world. And this is a great. His newsletter is a great way to just get a glimpse of what is going on in the labor movement and uh, for workers all across this country. Yeah, to, it's to so appreciate cool. the scale yeah. and the I mean, sheer number of unions and yeah. elections and actions that you don't hear in the mainstream media. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's really cool. So thank you so much for Jonah for writing it and for allowing us to use it. We have one more segment. We're going to be uh, diving a bit into the UMWA strike on our last segment. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Valley Labor Report with David Story and Jacob Morrison. The Valley Labor Report is also supported by listeners like you. If you value the work that we are doing, injecting a different perspective into talk radio, and you have the means, consider signing up for a monthly donation on patreon.com slash the Valley Labor Report. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash the Valley Labor Report to support our work and keep us on the air. 
The American Federation of Government Employees, AFGE Local 1858, believes all workers are entitled to fairness, dignity, and respect. AFGE also knows that the best way to guarantee proper treatment is for workers to stand together, united, looking out for each other. In AFGE, we fight for workers every day to ensure a workplace that is safe and free from harassment. If you're a federal employee and want to be a part of this union to protect yourself and your fellow workers, call 256 876 This is the Valley Labor Report. My name is Jacob Morrison here with my co-host David Sorry, Adam Keller here with my co-host Adam Keller. Um, And uh, yeah, we got here in spirit. Of course, David is here in spirit. Of course, I'm sure he's listening right now, or he will be later. Um, There, the uh, got a couple uh, messages. The best way, if you want to message us during the show, is uh, you can pull up. Even if you're listening on the radio, you can pull up our YouTube. We are on uh, the on YouTube at the Valley Labor Report, um, and we stream there. And so there's a chat box. And so if you if you put a message in the chat box, I can see it. At the same time, it's like live. It's like you're texting me. It's really cool. Um, just the technology. And, today. and we do love the audience participation. We do. Y'all. We do. Uh, you know, sometimes I may hang up on you accidentally when you call <laughs> the radio station. Uh, but if you comment on Facebook or YouTube, I yes. can't delete it. I, that's I, right. I can't uh, hang up on you. So that's a great way. And and I wanted to to just get this off my chest before we went off the air today. That I really would would love to get feedback from the audience on what are y'all uh, looking for moving forward I mean we, the program's been on, on for over a year I think we've we've done some really great stuff and what David and Jacob has have built has really grown uh, so what are y'all interested in uh more national and international stories or more local and statewide focused stories um, are you looking for practical topics like what is a grievance what is a just cause termination what is an eeoc claim and how does that work uh so we'd love your feedback y'all uh comment facebook twitter youtube let us know what you're looking for what you're interested in what you like what you don't like and even if you can't chip in a couple bucks a month on patreon if you could share our stuff uh if you could Mm -hmm. invite your friends on facebook to like our page things like that really do make a big difference because uh we're the only union radio show in alabama uh we're the only thing like this really uh in the area for sure that's trying to get these stories out here so we love your support and we we definitely want to you know get engaged with the community here locally right right and um somebody but somebody said something in the chat uh i'm going to decatur later this week what should i do i'm not sure i'm not sure what you mean I'm sorry. Um, uh, you should join a union. So, I, mean, I don't <laughs> and know. Buy some white sauce. <laughs> buy some white sauce. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and uh, uh, a big shout out to Jacob and Adam and previously David uh, for keeping these issues in the public eye. Thank you. We try to do that. Um, is there a way to make a one time contribution to the Valley Labor Report? Uh, uh, PayPal.com. 
me slash the Valley Labor Report. If you go to paypal.me slash the Valley Labor Report, um, then you can send us a one-time contribution that way. Um, and are we only on the air on Saturdays? Yes, we are only on the air on Saturdays from 9.30 to 11 a.m., but all of our broadcasts are archived on YouTube, and we release clips throughout the week on YouTube as well. So, um, the last thing that we were wanting to talk about here in these last six or seven minutes is the mine workers strike. Uh, there are, they're still on strike. Like Jonah said in his newsletter, there are 1100, uh, 1100 mine workers are still on strike. It is, they're going into their, uh, uh, 90 day mark of being on strike and the company is trying to starve them out. Okay. And so, um, what happened in 2015 is that the CEO and the board of directors purposely allowed the company, purposely took the company into bankruptcy. Why did they do that? Because of the way that the bankruptcy laws in this country are structured. They allow companies to get out from under agreements and from uh, from under debts and um, and, and to restructure their assets and to allow themselves to have a bigger uh, owner that can better leverage assets. And no can, surprise that bankruptcy yeah. works different for uh, wealthy corporations oh, exactly. versus us regular people. Exactly. And so, you know, just to, like just a reminder, the CEO and the board of directors are the same. They did not take a pay cut. In fact, they're making more now than they ever did. And they think the coal miners who are the worst compensated union coal miners in the country are paid too much. And uh, they're not working with them to get them back just what they lost in 2015, and and so the reason that that they are uh, one of the reasons that they're able to to last so long, the company is in this strike, is that it is owned. Warrior Met is by a huge asset management firm. So the only um, the only. Warrior Met Coal is not the only thing that this asset management firm owns, right? They own lots of other things. And so, if Warrior Met takes a loss, that's not the only thing that they own. So, they can leverage their other assets against Warrior Met in order to starve out these workers and try to break their spirits and have them never work there again or uh, and, and bring in totally new workers or or, or or even have them come in without a union again and that's what that's what they want to do ultimately they want to break the union they want to um, they, they want to uh, not pay their workers fairly they don't want to have to worry about environmental regulations they don't want to have to worry about uh, taking care of the river that's right next to the mine uh, that the UMWA members have always taken care of they don't want to have to worry about safety precautions that the union made sure that they they took care of and I mean it's just uh, it, they're uh, they're trying to starve them out and so we have got to try to do everything that we can to lift these workers up to make sure that they are not starved out um, because we want them to win. One of the things that we talked about last time that we talked about this is that 
all of these struggles are connected because this is not the only coal mine in Alabama. If these people at Warrior Met lose their strike, if they are forced to come back for slave wages, go back in the coal mines with a 20, 30 year history at $15, $16 an hour, which is what they want to do, which is what Warrior Met wants to do, of course, without a union, without those safety protections, without representation, if they are forced to do that, then what's going to happen to the next coal mine when their negotiations come up? What is going to happen when the next coal mine's negotiation comes up? They're going to say, look what they accepted. Look what the folks right. at Warrior Med accepted. What makes you think you're better than them? Why do you, and and it, the other companies are going to be able to leverage the bad contract at Warrior Met against these other coal mines in Alabama. And of course, it doesn't just affect coal mines in Alabama. It affects coal mines all across the South and all across the country. What's going to happen in West Virginia the next time? There, uh, uh, as they don't have any union mines left in West Virginia, but they're going to. They're. I mean, it's it's going to affect coal mines all across the country, and it's not just going to affect coal mines. It's going to affect the communities. Right. Brookwood is a coal mining community. The In the same way that Huntsville is an engineering community, Brookwood is a coal mining community. So, what's going to happen if the people who support that town have their income cut in half, have to take another $6 an hour pay cut. You can think about it because what would happen to Huntsville if all the engineers who are, who are making 80, 90, 100, $160,000 a year, what if we made, what if we got our pay cut by $6 an hour? What if we got our pay cut by half? What would that do to the service industry in Huntsville? So many jobs depend on engineers in Huntsville. In the same way, so many jobs depend on coal miners being able to spend money in Brookwood. And the alternative to the coal miners in Brookwood having the money is asset management, hedge fund, ghouls, vultures, swine, pigs in New York City having the money and putting it in their bank account. That's the alternative. And so the, the best way that you can support them to make sure that, well, there are a few ways. One of the ways to make sure that they don't get starved out is to donate to their support funds. They have a strike pantry fund, which goes to help buy groceries for the uh, for the folks on strike. And they also have a strike aid fund, which is distributed evenly among the striking workers to help supplement their weekly strike checks. Also, you should call your representatives, call your state reps, your state senators, the governor, the lieutenant governor. Governor, because these folks say they care about coal miners. Tell them to prove it. Prove it. Prove you care about the coal miners and do something for them. Folks, this has been the Valley Labor Report, and we will see you next week.